I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. This is Mike Sealski. Uh, Dave Murphy is not is at, on location at his apartment uh, waiting for UPS or FedEx or the U.S. Postal Service to deliver something to his home. Uh, Les Bowen from the Daily News is here. We're going to talk about the Eagles. Jonathan Tannenwald is back. And he wants to start the show by saying something. So, well, John, you, you, make it you fast. Took, you, you did a better intro than I could, first of all. So, congratulations. There's a low bar I'm, to climb. I'm, I'm back. Uh, I'm back from two weeks reporting on the communist outbreak in America for the Inquirer and Daily News. And my introduction was going to be that I'm with the great American patriot, Mike Sealski. Well, but you decided w- that you know we needed at least one, you know, on this podcast. Uh, Murph, I think you might have left a book here. That's that's a good chance. Uh, so it, it appears to be from the library, so I'm wondering if you have an overdue notice yet. Maybe he's maybe he's at his apartment waiting for Bookman the library cop from you know, what, you know what's overdue is something relevant to talk about, so why don't we get into talking about the Eagles? No, let's not. I'd rather talk about your heavy library finds. I don't, well, what's the, what's the title? Because <laughs> I, have, I have a Benjamin Franklin library here um, in my uh, Bucks County abode. But uh, I'm not sure what book it, I would have It says there. here, quarter of a millennium, the library company of Philadelphia, 1731 to 1981. I don't think sounds he's doing Sounds like you. Yeah. yeah, that sounds like Murph. All right, look, moving on from Murph's reading habits, let's deal with the big news of the week, which is why we have less here, which is the Eagles signing of Fletcher Cox. Six years, uh, officially, unofficially, the, the um, kind of made-up number is $103 million. He's, of course, not going to get $103 million or... It's not likely to get $103 million. Less. what did you make of this deal? It was kind of a fait accompli in that you knew, everybody knew that he was going to get signed eventually. Did they pay him too much? Did they have to do this? What does this kind of mean in the grand scheme of things? Well, one thing, Mike, the, the most interesting part of this to me was how the guarantee was structured. I think we all knew pretty much what the money was going to be. The issue was how the guarantee would work, how much would be really guaranteed as opposed to guaranteed if he's still playing in 2019 or something. And it looks like to me, and I was an English major, so you know <laughs> I could be wrong, it looks like to me that he'll make $60 million before they can even think about being able to cut him, mm-hmm. given dead cap numbers for the next few years. So that's a heck of a thing. That's, a, that's an excellent guarantee, and I'm sure that was what took so long. As a, is for the question of whether they should have done this or whatever, I, it's not one that I really feel inclined to get real into. There's another guy, Marcel Darius, with the same agent who plays the same position for Buffalo, who did a deal last September, very comparable player, comparable career. He got a little bit less than this. So it's not like you can say, well, gee, wouldn't it have been nice if they could have signed him for $75 million or if they'd been able to do this or that. I mean, they couldn't. They, Darius was the starting point. Darius has off-the-field issues that Cox doesn't have, and Cox is probably a better player, so he got a little bit more money than that. I mean, that's, you know, that's how the world works. If you want to look at really you know, far-out scenarios, they could have traded him for something. You don't see a whole lot of that in the NFL, big-time 25-year-old players getting traded. They could have... 
you know, made him play for the seven point seven nine million option and then franchised him for two years. Yeah. But he would have been dramatically unhappy. I'm not sure he would have agreed to show up for that. He would have demanded a trade. You would have had your most talented player unhappy in the locker room and everybody else in the locker room looking at that saying, this is how they treat the guys that, you know, come out every day and play every day for five years. Yeah, and play really well every day for yeah, five years. Yeah, you know, I, no. I mean, that, that's yeah. what they had to do, and the rest of it will all work out somehow. I mean, this is what right. they needed to do. There's no reason not to do it. I think he'll be a dominant player in a 4-3. Murph, your thoughts? You know, I, I go back to pretty much what I've, what I've come to believe about NFL free agency and that these teams just there's there's not enough out there to spend your money on your cap money on wisely so you know you, you might as well you're almost stuck with re-signing your own players for whatever the market guarantees I mean I think you saw that with the tight end situation this offseason I mean all these guys pretty much signed for the same amount of money Jordan Reed Zach Ertz Travis Kelsey um, you know and even though Ertz you know one could argue is the you know lesser talented of the three certainly less than Reed um, you know, that's who they have. And, and the option is, you know, selecting a guy and trying to develop another guy. And I think that's where you're at with Fletcher Cox. I mean, he's, you know, it's almost, it's almost a no brainer because what are you going to spend that money on? I mean, I, I go back and I, I, you know, you, I pointed this out. I think me and M Mike and I talked about this around the time of the Super Bowl. I mean, the Panthers were carrying, uh, a defensive end that was making <laughs> something absolutely ridiculous in terms of contract. And it was pretty much a dead weight. Mm -hmm. You know, and they went all the way to the Super Bowl, and that did not hinder them at all. Um, you know, I, I just don't know that, that you really have many cap killer contracts in the NFL. Yeah, it's true. And I think, you know, often um, those that come closest are quarterbacks. And as part of this, Les and I were talking about this before the podcast, you know, as part of signing Cox to this money, um, you're going to eventually, as if we didn't already know it, you know, you're going to have to move on, presumably from Sam Bradford after this season because he just makes too much money. Um, and the Eagles already, you know, projected to be over the 2017 salary cap and nearer to the limit in 2018 uh, than any other team in the NFL. So by drafting Carson Wentz, you now have cost control and cost effectiveness at the quarterback position, which either keeps you under the cap or gives you kind of the flexibility, more flexibility to do what you want. Agree. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I mean, and again, that depends, you know, it all goes back to, um, you know, it all goes back to how well Carson Wentz plays. I mean, cost cost controllability isn't necessarily. I mean, I, I would be cost controlled if they signed me to a contract, but they right. they don't want me playing quarterback nor doing probably anything else with the organization. Uh, uh, except uh, arguing with Dave Spadaro, which if you have a chance to to do it again during training tape would be awesome. Um, that was great during minicamp. I, uh, I have this question. It comes from something that I saw. ESPN stats and info feed tweet out. And I'm sure they're not the only ones who've said it over the last couple days weeks whatever most guaranteed money given out since january 1st of this year the eagles yeah. eagles 280 million dollars plus giants 140 million dollars plus uh and then three and four washington and baltimore 114 to 115 million dollars or so but to, to have given out that many miles more worth of guaranteed money less when we talk about cap hits and so on and so forth is, is that a red flag or not? I don't think so. I, I think it has a lot to do. It's kind of arcane, and I won't talk about it for a long time, but the whole deal of Chip Kelly being in charge for a year and Howie Roseman coming back in and taking control 
and seeing things that needed to be done, like new deals for people like right. Malcolm Jenkins and Connor Barwin. It's not like, you know, that Giants figure is money handed out in free agency, pretty much. Yeah. The Eagles were in free agency, and they, they signed two pretty big deals, Brandon Brooks and, and Rodney McLeod. But, you know, they weren't anywhere near the the most uh, pro, the most uh, active team in free agency. What, what it tells you is that Chip Kelly must have been the worst coach in the history of football because the Eagles had all these good players on their roster and just <laughs> and went seven and nine, and then they just had to spend all this money to keep them. It well, sure, I know, sure I know a lot of the perspective. I know a lot of the players feel like they should have been a good team last year. They should have won mm-hmm. more games. They should have been in the playoffs. Now, I don't know, you know, if that will be borne out or not, but. I, I do think there was a there were people there that they wanted to build around, and this has always been the way. Before Howie was so rudely interrupted by Chip Kelly, <laughs> you know, he was doing things like this in 2011 and 2012, signing Deshaun Jackson and Lashawn McCoy, whom Chip got rid of. Mm-hmm. You know, his Howie was number two in the uh, in business side. 10 years ago when the whole talk radio conversation about the Eagles was they're not loyal to their players. Right. They let people like Troy Vincent and Hugh Douglas walk. You know, they, you, you lie down your life for them and they don't uh, keep you here. Brian Dawkins, you know, it's just not Jeremiah uh, Trotter. Yeah. You know that there's no loyalty. There's, there's no, the organization is run by, you know, emotionless robots Howie has taken that as his mission statement, mm-hmm. just about. He signs his guys. He believes in his guys, right or wrong, and we'll see. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say possibly wrong. And the reason why I say that is because one of the things that the Reed administration, I think, proved many times, as popular as all those guys you mentioned were, is that it's a better, much better to get rid of them a year early than a year too late. Some of the, well, yes, Brian Dawkins, yeah, that, not so much, but uh, some of that was true. Um, the salary cap was a lot different back yeah. then as well. It's, it's kind of a different scene now. And a lot of those guys, like Troy Vincent in particular, was at the very end. He had yeah. signed several contracts yeah, with the I mean, Eagles. It wasn't like he was 28 right, you know, right. or anything like that. Murph, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about, you got to keep in mind, we're talking about a guy who, even if this contract runs to its expiration will only be 29 years old um you know at its conclusion so you know we're not talking about getting rid of i mean the only thing really that can happen to fletcher cox is he he just turns into a turd or you know he gets really badly hurt or something yeah or he gets badly hurt i mean you know otherwise there's no there's not going to be any he is not going to depreciate to the point where his contract is an albatross. I mean, he's just not at that point. Is this his first big contract? I don't. I mean, the one the one concern for whatever reason, defensive tackles at at times yes. seem to you know get take the money and and disappear. Yeah. But Albert whatever. Hansen. I mean, that's that's a, that's a concern with any player that you're signing. And again, you know, I go back to I go back to Charles Johnson. Um, I always have to double check his name, whether it's Michael Johnson or Charles Johnson, because I know Charles Johnson played for the Eagles, and I figure I might be messing that up, but Charles Johnson, the 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 Panthers carried a twenty million dollar cap hit for cap. For Charles Johnson this year, um, and he did not give them twenty million dollars worth of production. Uh, needless to say, and he's actually, but he's actually a good enough teammate that he's coming back next year. But but the fact of the matter is, if if a, if a team that makes the Super Bowl for the NFC can can carry a a, a dead money contract of twenty million dollars, 
I mean, look, this isn't baseball, this isn't basketball, this isn't hockey. Uh, you know, it, it is all about how you draft and develop, and one contract is not going to sink you there because if right. you're drafting and develop the way you need to, um, you're going to be you're going to be saving so much money on the front end of these guys that you can afford to carry some of these contracts even if they go bad. Now, right. I think and, Fletcher Cox and, is a pretty safe safe bet not to go bad. Right. But I mean, you just have to, like, and that's what. And again, like the the, the guaranteed money is a little, uh, you know, that that as. Mike pointed out that number is a little inflated just because all these guys happen to be, uh, you know, coming up at the same time. I mean, look, it's a very paint by numbers thing anymore in the NFL. I mean, there's just free agency. Guys just don't get the free agency as much anymore, um, whether it's because uh, I think probably because teams have so much money to sign them ahead of time. Right. It's, yes. it's worth their same while thing to is sign with the baseball, contract. Yeah. Therefore, guys don't hit free agency. Therefore, you know, you're pretty much stuck with whatever, whatever draft class you draft, which is why it's so dangerous for them to be trading away picks for Carson Wentz after whiffing, you know, on that 10-11 draft class. Well, you, you um, had, I mean, like, like you, you draft Ertz, you could have drafted Kelsey, you could have drafted Ertz, but like Kelsey's not hitting free agency. So if you want a tight end, you have you're stuck with Ertz. You know, not that that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that that's pretty much how it works. You know, like Jason Witten or L.J. Smith. Like you're either stuck with L.J. Smith or you start over. You know. Yeah. Well, you you touched on what I was going to say, Murph, which is that. It's great that the Eagles ha now have Fletcher Cox for the next six years, but that doesn't change what could turn out to be their primary problem and their primary question, which is Howie Roseman's spotty draft record. Talent, talent evaluator. You know, as a talent evaluator, and the fact that in going after Carson Wentz, you've given away, you've sacrificed, what, two net draft picks, I guess. Right. Um, you know, we've talked about this on the show before, you know, as kind of the opposite example of that. When the when the Giants moved up in 2004 from the number four overall pick and or, or flip flopped with the San Diego Chargers and got Eli Manning, <clears throat> they only had four draft picks in the following year's draft in 2005. But it as it turned out, they took they got three very good pro players, Justin Tuck among them, among those three. But that was almost I don't know if you want to call it luck, if you want to call it you, you want to attribute it to Ernie Acorsi's skill and talent evaluating. I'm sure Ernie would tell you that if you asked him. Um, but, you know, the point is that they cut down the they, they the odds of them hitting on three out of four picks in an entire draft are, you know, incredibly low. Right. Um, and yes. they were fortunate that they did. And the Eagles now have something similar. It's not quite as bad. But you have a situation where Howie Roseman doesn't, you know, is not regarded as a slam dunk town evaluator. Like, don't worry, it doesn't matter if we have one pick. Howie will find the one right. guy who right. who'll turn into something. It's not that situation. So they really need moving forward. They really need Carson Wentz to be everything they project him to be from a salary cap standpoint, from a team success standpoint, from all those sorts of things. I, I don't and know they also that. need, like, Isaac Sumalo to be good. Right. Yes. They need first one of these guys that they signed as an undrafted free agent. They put a lot of emphasis and attention on that. They need for at least one of those guys to work out. They need for a Jalen Mills, you know, seventh-round guy to yeah. be, you know, to be like kind of like what Richard Sherman became for the Seahawks. for the Seahawks, like a real diamond in the rough guy that should have been drafted way earlier type of guy. I mean, yeah, that's all true. I don't object, which, is, which, to, which I think is why yeah. they wanted to they wanted so bad to tap that that Baltimore Ravens institutional knowledge. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and mm -hmm. I think that that's probably the honestly, I think the best move they made this offseason was really kind of surrounding Howie with, uh, you know, I think Lurie, I think he did that right. I, you know, I get the sense that it came from him and. 
you know, they know they, they, they can't afford to miss on, on you can't get you can't afford to get three years behind in your drafting. Um, and that's, you know, there's been a lot even with some of the hits they've had, there's been there've been a lot of misses. And, like oh, yeah. you know, yeah. I know everyone loves Michael Kendricks, but he's still a miss in my book at this point. Um, you know, like but here like like here's the point. And I think Mike raised this with Carson Wentz. It's not just that like Carson Wentz. Like the Eagles have put themselves in a position where they need Carson Wentz to. They can't just be satisfied with him being Joe Flacco. You know, right. I mean, everyone brings up, well, Joe Flacco went to one double A. Well, the Eagles have put themselves in a position where they need Carson Wentz to be worth what they paid for him, right? And what they sacrificed for him. And that's like a top. That's a top ten, top five, top ten quarterback. That's that's an elite level quarterback. And I think like that's when you when you look at Fletcher Cox, that's and when you look at what differentiates teams in the NFL it's which one of these elite level guys is the most elite like when you look at like like, like I love Fletcher Cox he, he plays a great defensive tackle defensive end but he's not J.J. Watt you know like right. he's not he, he is not a one-man wrecking crew the way Watt has been at least he, he he hasn't been that yet but Watt and and Cox both drafted around this both drafted you know around the same slot in the draft Cox you know both signing a similar contract at this point you know you would take that you would take Watt's contract with the Texans over Cox's contract with the Eagles and I just think that that's the question is how how elite can Fletcher Cox become at that price tag yeah and and that gets honestly that gets back to a a discussion we've had on the podcast numerous times which is in today's day and age what is the best way to go about building a championship caliber team is it necessarily in today's day and age that you have to absolutely go get a franchise quarterback to do it. Yes, that seems the best way to remain competitive mm-hmm. over time, and that's certainly what the Eagles are going for. But uh, you know, last year, for instance, is an example where you know the Denver Broncos have right. a a shell of Peyton Manning. They right. they have basically a, a Peyton Manning mannequin playing for them, mm-hmm. and they're able to win the championship because of their defense. Um, and you know. I wrote a column for today, Wednesday, um, about this trend in the NFL about quarterbacks who are playing better as they age, um, that this generation of great quarterbacks who all kind of came along at the same time, roughly speaking, maybe in about a five-year window from Brady, Rodgers, mm-hmm. you know, Eli Manning being very good, um, Drew Brees, they're still at the top of the league in a lot of statistical categories. The, the, the generations behind them haven't come along yet to kind of supplant them. And well, that, see, that's I looked at that from the other end, Mike. You wrote a very good column, but I was thinking the whole time, well, the real problem here is there was this great generation of quarterbacks, and then the next generation wasn't very good. It's not so much that these guys, that, that you want a quarterback who's over 30, it's that there haven't been a lot of really dominant franchise-type quarterbacks drafted in the last several years. But if you look at previous eras the ages at which the this group are succeeding mm-hmm. surpass even great quarterbacks who came before them like Steve okay. Young, Jim Kelly, Joe Montana, Dan Marino. These guys at 33 or 34 were starting to regress. Right. Right. You know, Drew Brees is 37, Tom Brady's 37, Aaron Rodgers is 32. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick is 33 and had the best year of his career. Carson Palmer's mm-hmm. 35 or was 35 last year and had the best year of his career. And part of that is the way the game is now, is that it, the, the offseason is so much less strenuous. Um, players know right. so much more about nutrition and conditioning and being able to extend their careers. And because the league has shaped the rules to, uh, to make offense, and particularly passing offense, 
easier, you know, more pass interference mm-hmm. penalties, more illegal contact penalties, uh, easier to complete a ball down the field, that a quarterback's intelligence uh, can be a greater factor sometimes. Yeah, it can. You know. Yeah, um, yeah but I, see, I, I kind of look at it differently from both of you guys. And, There's a surprise. You know, I, I, <laughs> I've definitely changed my uh, – I've I've definitely changed my philosophy a little bit over now, the last. Now there's three, a four surprise, years. and uh, and frankly, you know, I think Sam Bradford's had a little bit to do with it. I I I almost think that Brady and Manning were so good, or at least the teams, you know, th- their team success was so good that that I almost think that we started holding quarterbacks to a, a way too high a standard, um, and frankly, like I think it takes quarterbacks time. To, like if you look at Eli's numbers. Um, you know he was a he was a Sam Bradford esque quarterback in his first five years. Right. If you take away the Super Bowl wins, but that's that, that's almost why it, we almost have become we have almost come to define quarterbacks simply by their team success. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, sure. like if you put as you said, like, like who's to say that? Um, you who's, know, who's to, to s- say quarterback? Like who's to say quarterback X? wouldn't have done what Joe Flacco did. You know, who's to say right. Sam Bradford wouldn't have done what Joe Flacco did with the Ravens? And now all of a sudden, the, the, you know, we're, we're, we're asking questions about Sam Bradford, but Joe Flacco's got a job for life, when if you actually look at their numbers... <laughs> yeah, they're pretty you know, similar. Other than that, play, other than that, that great, and, and it, no doubt about it, it was a great run. Other than that four-week stretch in the postseason, I mean, Flacco and Bradford, and the injuries, obviously, Flacco and Bradford have, have been very similar, except that you know he's got the magic Super Bowl title, of course, and and there's absolutely no question about whether he's going to be here for the next ten years. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, so, like, like, look, just... like look at Palmer, like you know, like like and look at Kurt Warner, like Kurt Warner when he that six stretch with six six start stretch with the Giants. I mean, he looked like he was Horrible. done, like he felt yeah. bad for him. Yeah. Um, you know, like who's to say Donovan McNabb wouldn't have won a Super Bowl with Denver if he'd gone to Denver instead of Washington? You know, like it's just I, I think I, I almost think that we've gotten to a point that where we're giving quarterbacks too much credit. I, it, it obviously is the most important position, but I think that we've gotten to this thing where if you're not Tom Brady and you're not Aaron Rodgers and you're not Drew Brees and you're not Peyton Manning, then you're not anybody. And, and you know we should just keep churning through people until we find somebody. Whereas, as, as you said, a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick, maybe all it takes is to be in the right situation and he makes the playoffs instead of spending five years in Buffalo missing the playoffs. But you, just, you, you said earlier that you are not the world's biggest fan of Joe Flacco. And then you right. said you overvalue the quarterbacks, and I wonder if there's a slight contradiction there in that a, if Wentz turns out to be of Flacco's caliber and is surrounded by enough other good players as Flacco was, mm-hmm. and this team ends up being pretty good. Yeah, guess how, you, guess how you have to get those players that you surround Carson Wentz with? Draft, Draft picks. Sure. Oh, that, that part I agree with well, you that's, with. That's, that's the part. That's the part. That's the Joe thing Flacco, is that they created Joe Flacco right. because he's not going to have those players around him because they traded those picks away. Oh, I agree. But you said you you when you were saying if Carson Wentz ends up being as good as Joe Flacco, it's not good enough. That's the impression. It's not, yeah, it's not good enough. He's not going to have the supporting cast around. Right. Okay, that. Yeah, that's the part I was trying. Remember to the Ra- the Ravens are one of the three or four best drafting organizations in the league, and they are good enough that when they took Flacco, they took him with the 18th overall pick. So that he's stepping into a situation already that's far better mm-hmm. than the one, you know, like Marcus Mariota or Jameis Winston were stepping into last year, or presumably that Wentz is stepping into this year. Um, so that makes a difference. It, but it that, just does. Like, like, like Wentz, I, you know who reminds me a little bit of Wentz the more I think about it is Ryan Tannehill. And, Ooh, I mean, he, Wentz has a stronger arm. Uh, 
but like they they're kind of in similar situations in terms of their 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 background and their their rawness or whatever but they're also kind of similar they're similar looking players in terms of their 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 skill set they're both a little mobile they're both pretty athletic they're both about the same size and Tannehill might be a miss you know like that was the chance the Dolphins were taking but they did not I, I don't believe that they they gave up what the Eagles gave to get him no, so if Tannehill yeah. turns into being a miss they're going to be able to bounce back from that a lot easier than the Eagles will if Wentz is a miss because they they traded you know I mean yeah. you know if, if Wentz is a miss and Bradford gets hurt this year they might have traded the number one overall pick in next year's draft right. for the guy that's right know? and and getting you know th- that that was kind of part of my point with respect to Bradford which is there's two ways of looking at you know, building a championship contender. It is sacrifice whatever you think you need to sacrifice to get the guy that you think is going to be the all-everything quarterback. That's what the Eagles did. But there's also the idea of go year by year, try to reload to a certain extent every year, the way the Giants do with Eli Manning, the way the Chargers unsuccessfully try to do with Phillip Rivers, and, you know, catch lightning in a bottle with a guy who while not at Brady or Manning's level at their peak, you know, is certainly good enough to win a Super Bowl with the right yeah. pieces around him. And the problem is knowing whether you have right. that guy or not. You right. brought up Carson Palmer and his wonderful season last year. Well, his wonderful season, the end of it was a horrible yep. playoff performance. Yeah. And I wonder if the Cardinals really do have a quarterback that can win a right. Super Bowl. You know, they have a team that can probably get them there, mm-hmm. but... Uh, boy, that was dreadful. And you don't want to find out, you know, in the second or third round of the playoffs that, hmm, this guy can't do it after all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Brett Favre had a game where he had a playoff game where he oh, threw yeah, six interceptions and threw the, won the Dawkins in 03. But he was, was. Favre was done way before he retired, though. But that's right. something we, you know, that's, yeah. that's a tangent we don't need to go off on. That's Favre true. in the 90s was a way better quarterback than oh, Favre gosh, yeah. in the 2000s. So, okay, so one thing that, that Murph and I wanted to do with you here, less was... I, one more before, go you, ahead, before you go. Yeah. Because I think the, the, the interesting team that kind of speaks to the, the, the different paradigm that you're talking about is the Texans. They're going to be the interesting team yes. to watch. That's right. Because um, they've kind of gone that... They've gone absolutely year for year, quarterback by quarterback, like quarter by quarter over these last three years. And... You know, we might not understand how good that team is, you know, if they – I mean, they haven't – they've had a liability at – like, to me, Bradford's not a liability. Like, he, he right. might just be a average He's, NFL quarterback. But, he, like, to me, there's there's quarterbacks that can win playoff games for you. There's quarterbacks that can lose playoff games for you. And then there's everybody else. And right now, I think he's in the everybody else category. You know, like, if Osweiler is the man, you know, maybe – or maybe even if he's just, like, Flacco-esque – Maybe that team that's all it takes for that team. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it, like they're they've kind of built this team and they've shown that you can win even with a liability at quarterback if you build enough build a good enough team. What what Bill O'Brien's done with that team on the offensive line and and on defense and, and bringing them that somehow how he's managed that that quarterback position to to the playoffs these past couple of years. It, it's pretty remarkable and and it kind of speaks it's kind of another counterfactual to the whole notion that you need this guy capable of winning at quarterback in order to win. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that, that you're, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I'm fascinated so, to watch that team. Yeah. So, yep. but and that kind of parlays into where we wanted to go, which is, um, what kind of team will the Eagles have in 2016? So, Les, one of the the reasons we wanted you on this week was to kind of, if not predict who the 53 man roster would be, get a sense at least at mm-hmm. this point of, you know, 
who's going to yeah, be at the important that, spot? So let's yeah, not do that. <laughs> Who, who's going to be at the important spots? Um, how okay. things might end up looking, at least as we head into training camp six weeks from now. So, like for example, like the cornerback position. Yeah, that's like an a, interesting one, and that got like even there, more like, cloudy. What did you see out of what you saw this this off season, and, and where would you? How would you handicap it going? At like, is Noah Carroll going to be starting? Right. Is Eric Rowe going to be starting? Yada yada yada. It got way more cloudy during the spring workouts because going into the spring, I would have said Eric Rowe is their best corner. I thought he really played well when he came in after Nolan Carroll got hurt. I thought he learned fast. He's a big corner who can get down the field, stay with the receiver on a long route. I was just tremendously impressed. New system, new coaches, suddenly I don't think they are as impressed with Eric Rowe. And the knock that I heard was that he can cover, you know, a long straight pattern, but that he's not as good with shorter, you know, things that cause him to move laterally. Uh, maybe he'll pick that up, maybe he won't, but that certainly puts a cloud over that position to me. Leotis McKelvin was clearly their best corner in the spring, but to me, I was kind of looking at that like, well, he knows Schwartz's defense inside and out. He's, you know, he's going to look good here. You know, it. So I don't know. I Nolan Carroll is coming back from a serious injury. I guess he'll be as good as he was last year, which was okay. Um, Jalen Mills looked tremendous in the spring, but they still haven't put any pads on or anything like that. Um, but this is not what I thought. I thought it'd be Eric Rowe and somebody else. <laughs> Instead, it's going to be Leotis McKelvin and somebody else. I so got a little bit of the we'll impression, see. though, last season that Rowe was good, but in part Rowe was good relative to the other options. Yeah, I yeah, guess I mean, so, well, but well, I thought he I thought he ran down the field with Odell Beckham and guys like that uh, really, really well. But there's a lot more to play in the position, and you have to develop and grow. And what's good for a rookie isn't necessarily good the next year, you know, when they're looking for more from you. So we'll see. We haven't even had training camp yet. So we're, we're basing this on people running around in short pants, unable to hit. It looks a lot different, you know, when you're doing it for real. But, uh, yeah, they have a lot. I th- Dave, I would say they have more corners, like, you can go four or five deep here and not get to anybody as below average as EJ Biggers was last year. But do you have two starters? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the thing you got to keep in mind with Rowe, Jonathan specifically, is I mean, there was quite when they drafted him, it was a, the assumption right away was that he was drafted as a safety. Right, right. Um, and, and frankly, you saw it throughout training camp. Like his hip, he's just very up, like a very upright player whose hips don't move great um but as Les said he played you know he, he held his own down the stretch it seemed like he was getting better but it could be as something as little as they might just he, he's just, he's kind of a similar guy profile wise to Jalen Mills and and it might just be one of those things where if you're they a like their own you see those two players on the yeah. field together you're like well Jalen Mills is clearly better than this guy <laughs> so or so, Jalen Mills is the new regime's guy and you know right. Eric Rowe but like, was what, but if like if Eric Rowe might have been Chip Kelly's highest that, profile draft pick from his one year being in charge you know Nelson Aguilar didn't do much uh Jordan Hicks got hurt uh you know we were looking at Roe as the best corner the Eagles have drafted in like 12 or 14 years and you know maybe the new regime just doesn't it's like having a new teacher in school maybe the new teacher doesn't like him as much well I mean it's I mean it's also different schemes too um that's right you know you keep in mind they had Walter Thurman last year who was pretty much another uh, cornerback back there who, who could who could kind of take some of those intermediate routes and some of those um, 
you know, whatever. I don't know. Who knows? Again, keep in mind it's, you know, we're talking May. But but mm-hmm. as Les said, like that that kind of jumped out at me. It just seemed like, you know, I saw a lot of what's the guy's name from Oregon, Ron, uh, Ron, Brooks. Ron Harris, Ron Brooks, Ron Brooks, Ron, Ron Brooks. Yeah, I saw a lot of him out there too. It just seemed like as as Les said, you know, they're, you know, you could you almost could see like a top a, a top a new top four atop the uh, the depth chart. It seems like right. Yeah, yeah. and is that. Is that necessarily a bad thing? Like, in the sense that, you know, Schwartz's defense is so predicated on pressure mm-hmm. um, that, yeah, it's risky to, you know, because all the cornerbacks and defensive backs talk about that. Like, look, he puts you on an island. You got to be aggressive, man, one on one coverage. And, and we love that because we're cornerbacks and we're supposed to say we love one on one coverage even after, even after we get burned in one on one coverage. Um, but if, you know, if the front seven, is what the Eagles think it's going to be. Does it matter? You know, does it matter as much who's back there? It matters. I mean, I think you're looking more at a different skill set. You're probably not looking as much for what I was saying that Roe is really good at, yeah. which is covering a guy 50 yards downfield right. in a straight line, because you, theoretically you're not going to have that. But the idea that you might have different guys from last year certainly isn't alarming in that they gave up the most touchdown passes in franchise history last yeah. year. So. <laughs> You know, a little change is probably a good thing. Well, let's. I mean, how about that front seven? Because, you know, I think the front four, everybody would mm-hmm. agree, seems to be on pretty good footing. Except, is kind of borrowing to turn into Jason Babin in the wide nine, uh, the good Jason Babin, or is he going to turn into the bad Jason Babin? I mean, well, he's not going to turn know, into the bad Jason Babin. I mean, I've talked to him about why we were so leery of the wide nine, and it was so horrible here for two years. And he knows, you know, what the, the issues were with that. Um, I, you know, it's, it's when you're projecting people into new spots, it's, it's very hard. It's very, it's, it's tough to be authoritative. Again, at defensive end, they have numbers. They have several guys who ought to be able to perform. Do they have an elite guy, a guy who's going to really demand double coverage, other than Fletcher Cox, who's a defensive tackle? But do they have... Are any of their edge rushers really better than average, I guess, is, is their question. But if you have four guys who are average, can you make this defense work? I don't know. I don't four know defensive ends in a rotation, I mean. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, we're putting an awful lot on Jim Schwartz and the yes. scheme yes. Um, to work. And, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, you know. Well, to me, the key is exactly what it was last year, despite the change in the scheme, which is Jordan Hicks. Yeah. When Jordan Hicks was on the field, that was a pretty good defense. When Jordan Hicks was not on the field, it was a really bad defense. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, Jordan Hicks sat out some time this spring with a quad injury after tearing his pack last year. The reason Jordan Hicks was available in the third yep. round was that he got hurt a lot in, in college. You know, I know you and Jimmy Kemsky, uh, Dave, were kind of sparring over the linebackers. <laughs> to me, Jordan Hicks is Sean Lee, both the good and the bad. <laughs> you know, we'll see. I think he's a difference-making player whom you can't count on being out there, and that's going to be a big, big – if you can tell me Jordan Hicks is going to play 16 games this year and be healthy, I will tell you the Eagles will have a reasonably effective defense. How do you feel yeah, about I mean, Hicks, Murph? I, you know – I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna put him in. I, I think the questions are there. I think Sean Lee. I I, I lo- I'm a big Sean Lee guy, so I'm I'm probably not very objective on this. I I need to see more more out of Jordan Hicks before I put him in the difference maker category with Sean Lee. But I, I agree. I think he's he's. I think he showed that he's definitely steady enough. 
that that he would improve that middle linebacker position over what it was over 16 games last year. The question is to me the the two guys on the opposite sides of him. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. Nigel Bradham is is he's just been a guy his whole career. I know Jim right. Schwartz, yeah. you know, talked him up during mm-hmm. one press conference, but you know, clearly Buffalo didn't feel too. Nearly, clearly Buffalo nor any other team <laughs> felt yeah. felt that highly about the guy. Um, and and frankly, I I've just never been a Michael Kendricks fan, even even when you know that one season people were talking him up as the next Lawrence Taylor. Um, and last year he he he. I mean, he was just—he was lost. Invisible. He was yeah. invisible. Yeah, he was terrible. And, yeah. and you know, I don't—I don't write it off to it being a one-year aberration because I—I I think he—I—I I write his good season off as being a one-year aberration. And and he—he's going to be in a position in the four-three defense now where he needs to do a lot of the things that he's not necessarily—he needs to do more of the things that he's not necessarily great at, which is thinking and and covering, you know, and not over pursuing. Well, that's yeah. what I, that's what I mean about Schwartz is that. You know, there are so many guys, it seems to me, on this defense who the Eagles have faith that they will flourish under Jim right. Schwartz, like Vinnie Curry, you right. know. We'll see the best of Vinnie Curry, which he this was never like, allowed. This is like when a baseball team brings in a renowned pitching coach and all yeah, of a sudden exactly. the, like, the like Jim Schwartz is, yeah, Jim Schwartz is Leo Mazzoni, uh, you know, yeah, with the Braves yeah. role his years. You know, that we're going to see the best of Vinnie Curry and we're going to see the best of Brandon Graham and they'll figure out what to do with Connor Barwin. And now Fletcher Cox will be playing where he's supposed to have been playing all right. along. And Schwartz some of that is true, but it's also you know I, you're I, right. It's, I, it's I a see little a lot bit of, of pie in the sky. I, yeah, I see a lot of wishful thinking and magic beans in there. Well, the pie in the sky. The, the, the puzzling thing about it is that some of these guys have never been the guy that people are looking them to get back to, like yep. Brandon Graham. Like, he was, yeah. I mean, he was he was written off as a bust in a four three. How, how, how many days. Brandon Graham bust headlines are there in our archives at this we, point? Well, yeah, and I know like I know Brandon Graham, you know, is is kind of one of those pro football focused darlings and always has been. But like, frankly, the guy—it's not like he was any good in the four three. And and, and Vinny Curry. Well, Jim like, Washburn yeah. wouldn't play him was the biggest issue. <laughs> Uh, but, but but I mean we it's not we've never seen him be a good four three right. defensive end I guess is what I'm saying you know I it's think not he's like, a high energy guy who will be really really good if they can limit his snaps mm-hmm. and you know have another guy they can bring in for a couple series and then send him back out there I, I think he'll be just fine but who he is not Brandon Graham, Graham. I, you know he's he's not gonna he's not gonna get. 18 sacks and play every yeah, but we're, yeah that, but that's what i'm saying i mean we're, i mean if he's just an at like all brandon graham has ever been to me is an average guy you know and and like vinnie curry like he's he's i know he's played well in spurts but you know i gotta i gotta think that there was a reason why he wasn't playing a ton i mean I, it just seems like it, it's just an interesting thing that we've seemed to have gone overboard on this whole you know everything was chip kelly's fault and everything right. was bill davis's fault and that's, like that's i know kind of what happens some, whenever there's a coaching change it's all you know, it, it's all everything's going to be great now that there's a new guy here. Right, and, but I'm trying to get a reality, and I just yeah. don't know that that's the reality. Good you luck. Know, with I just that. don't know that. I don't know that that Vinnie Curry is really that good. You know, I don't know that. And and I know it's just it's going to be the interesting about this. The most interesting thing about this season, besides the quarterback position, because like Howie Roseman has to believe that these guys are this good because he drafted them. And what right. if it turns out that they're not that good? <laughs> well, know, things will go well. Then, then it's going to be very yeah. interesting because they've kind of based their entire strategy. On the on on the notion that these guys have just been being held down for three years. May I may I, first of all, say that if Howie Roseman gets proven wrong with a draft pick again, uh, it it may or may not be the first time. But I I would also, Dave, I have to say I have to compliment you. Uh, I've been waiting years now 
for somebody to bring the MS Paint skills back to our website, and I'm glad that you finally have. It's been long enough. I don't know. I don't know if I would refer to them as skills. <laughs> We're talking, of course, about uh, Murph's uh, digital tête-à-tête with uh, Jimmy Kemsky, formerly of Philly.com, and now with Philly Voice. I'll tell you what, man, Kemsky, and it's all in good fun. But Kemsky's minions are are they're like they're like they're they on paid you, my, man. They paid my salary for a while, man. I got to tell you, <laughs> Kemsky funny, they like, uh, are they yellow they, like the real minions? <laughs> no, like the, his. The Do they wear overalls? Minions, the Twitter minions, they just come at you. They just keep coming at you. You know, it's and it's uh like the, I, it's I funny have faith like, in you to beat them back. They'll respond to a tweet and they'll like they'll like CC Jimmy in it, like when they're like <laughs> saying like witty snarky things to me as almost like it's like they want his hey, Dad, approval. Look what yeah. I said to this guy. Look, I got your back. You know, like it's just like it, it's I, it's a weird dynamic. I, I, I'm not sure anyone else. That's also sure true of the crossing broad like people, by the way. They yeah. love that. They want I, to be patted on the head by their leader. I have yeah. faith in you, Dave, to either beat them back or just you know what, say, let's screw this. I'm shutting down Twitter for the day and leaving. Talk to you later. Well, what I really need to do is for my pills to come in the UPS package, and then I'll be so happy. There you so. gave it away. I yeah, was wondering geez. what you were yeah. staying home for. <laughs> pills. Oh, my God. No, um, okay, so let's move on then to what, what I think is the – not necessarily um, – I think it's the biggest question mark only because it seems the most unknown, not necessarily that it's the, the most important of positions uh, on offense, which is running back. Like, what are they going to do there, Les? Um, are we going to – Ryan Matthews and his – Injury history, Darren Sproles and his age, mm-hmm. Kenyon Barner and, you know, Wendell, Wendell Smallwood. Smallwood. I mean, yeah. is it committee? Like, what's going to go on here? Well, there's one guy, Marshall, that they ha- we haven't even seen yet since yeah. rookie camp. He's an undrafted free agent. Wendell Smallwood looked really good in the spring. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of – I was not big on that pick because of uh, <clears throat> the, the problem, that the legal problem that he had, because they waited until the fifth round. I didn't agree – I would have gone running back third round. They ended up – there was a run on running backs right before they drafted Wendell Smallwood and a couple guys that I'm pretty sure they would have rather had than Wendell Smallwood got drafted. But nonetheless, Wendell Smallwood looked like a, a West Coast back in the mm-hmm. spring. He could catch the ball. He's, he runs a route. He's fast. He can cut back. Uh, so for now, that looks all right. I Ryan Matthews – is a very frustrating player to me. Yeah. I think he's a tremendous talent when he's healthy. An unbelievable talent. A top-of-the-league type talent. But healthy is, for him, uh, yeah. uh, it's, it's un- yeah, he just can't stay healthy. And we found out eventually when his production dropped off the second half of last year that he was playing hurt. Yeah. You know, so what can you get out of him? Sproles is 140 years old and, and didn't <laughs> want to be here all spring. I don't know what that's all about. Um, it, yeah, that's a – when they made this Wentz deal, they kind of forfeited the ability to really address in a big manner a lot of their concerns, and that is right up there. That and wide receiver are the two things that they just were not able to do much with. Well, you know, Carson Wentz is going to throw the ball to himself, and he's going to hand the ball off to himself. He's going to do yeah. everything and be the savior and all that. It's, you know, it sounds to me – Well, maybe, maybe they really are planning on playing with three quarterbacks. All I know is that <laughs> yeah. Chase Daniel pisses winning, so w- – <laughs> yeah. Wentz is going to throw the ball to Bradford and Daniel, who are going to be his wide receivers? Could but, be. Uh, but, but I here's – 
and again, this is like the overreaction of overreactions of three practices that I watched in not in pads, one of them on a 50-yard half field. But Ryan Matthews, I, I'm very interested to see how he looks once the pads go on. And I think, frankly, it's going to be a great training camp because because they are hitting and you're going to be able to see a little bit well, more. Well, that'll be it for Ryan yeah. if they're hitting. He, he just might be... I don't know. He he looked a little. He looked a step slow this spring. I mean, as you said, Wendell Smallwood. Like the one thing you can kind of gauge is speed out there and burst. And Wendell Smallwood clearly was moving, you know, at a different speed than a lot of these other guys. But I I also got the opposite impression of Ryan Matthews, where, you know, he just he you know these running backs when they fade they fade fast. And mm. and I you know he's been very nicked up over the course of his career. And I'm I'm curious. Just I mean the concussion thing was a big thing last year. You know yeah. and and. You know, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's because of he's just like a low energy guy when you look at him, and I don't know maybe if that's just playing with with my head. But he, I swear, he looked, uh, he's definitely on my on my red flag list for for keeping a closer eye on at training camp. Yeah, and it's it, the interesting part to me is that, you know, one of the things we keep hearing about Doug Peterson, and it's it's borne out by the three years he and Andy Reid were together in Kansas City, is that he has a greater appreciation and emphasis on the running game than Andy ever did. Um, and while Andy, you know, he, he kind of came to Jesus a little bit with Kansas city because they had Jamal mm-hmm. Charles and, and a good running game. And as it turned out, and he didn't have a quarterback, didn't have the kind of quarterback, who, right. Yeah. Who, yeah. Who's going to throw the ball down the field very much. And Alex Smith, um, you know, Peterson is steeped in that. And, and we hear, well, he values the run values the run. And, you know, as you guys said, who are they going to give the ball to? You know, it's third and two in a seven point yeah. game. Who well, gets the ball in that situation? You're right. But. Kansas City last year lost Jamal Charles, but that's and just yeah. kept going. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, they had a good enough offensive line that they just plugged whoever in there, and yeah. maybe you know, I I don't think the Eagles have that offensive line, but we'll see. I guess uh, you know, but yeah, that's that's probably if I was looking at concerns for the team this year, I think the defense is going to be much better, mm-hmm. even though there are all these questions that we've we've dissected at length here. The offense, though, lacks weapons. It really lacks weapons, and that's that's a huge concern. It really is. Yeah. So uh, you know, it's funny you met, you mentioned Alex Smith. If this is kind of a tangent that, as usual, but if you could if you could shoot if I could shoot Doug Peterson up with sodium pentothal and, and have him answer one question, I would love to know what he thought of Alex Smith in terms of um, can you win a Super Bowl with can Alex you win Smith? a Super Bowl yeah. with him? Because that you know you almost may have seen. A little, a little, you know, truth telling of, of his view of Alex Smith in how much he liked Carson Wentz because yes. they really are. I, yes. I mean, mm. you know, he he. I, I'm curious if he would look at it and say when he looked at Sam Bradford and say, "Man, this guy just might be another Alex Smith, and he might be able to make us good enough, but he might not be able to make us the best." And you I know, think if you, you're if you commit to that yeah. wrong guy, yeah. then you're just going to be you know ten and six, eleven and working five, around and your quarterback around is not the way to win. Yeah, yeah, but by the same token, I mean. You know, you uh, well, I mean, they 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 were still a very good team. I mean, they won what 10, 11 games in a row. They they stopped. Didn't win no Super Bowl. No, right. they didn't. They stomped and the they, Texans frankly, in the they first did. round. You know, and Alex Smith. I mean, Alex Smith has a glaring problem. Like he he cannot throw the ball with authority down the field. Down the field. Yeah, you're right. And, and that's a huge problem in the play, especially in the playoffs. And I'm just curious if. When 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 Peter and, and I think that's why go, I think that's going to be golf's problem too. Like golf reminds me a lot of Alex Smith, and I'm curious if you know Doug Peterson was kind of had the fear of God, and I'm thinking like, <laughs> man, if if I end up, you know, 
even if it, even if Bradford is as good as Alex Smith and stays healthy, you know, will that be good enough? You know, and I, yeah. I I'm curious if he saw in Wentz a guy who at least gives you the potential to not have that. Yeah, but I mean, I would wonder about that. I mean, yeah, Bradford's a check, you know, is known as a check down guy, but you know. He could throw the ball downfield a little bit. Oh no, I think. I mean, I think. Hey, I think Bradford has way. I, I think Bradford has a way better. I think. Set I think you're just Alfred. saying in general. Is he Alex yeah. Smith? Is yeah. he a guy yeah. that can't quite get you there? Yeah. Right. Exactly. That's and fair. I think, yeah. I'm just curious if that's what what gotcha. I would just be interested to hear what Doug Peterson. You know, it, it, does he say all these things about Carson right. Wentz thinking about Alex Smith as in they're similar, or does he say all these things about Carson Wentz? thinking about Alex Smith as in they're different. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So offensive line less. Jason Peters going to play 16 games, just kill mall people with age 30, whatever. That's the one thing about this offseason that I really, really have a hard time reconciling or getting behind. Um, I was surprised that they're willing to pay him this money uh, this year. Uh, I thought they would ask him to take less. I was surprised, again, again with the, the Wentz trade. They kind of forfeited any yeah. opportunity to, to go out and aggressively address uh, a successor. And Lane Johnson is the left tackle successor, but they don't have a right tackle you know, in the yeah. works. It, they're putting a lot of faith in Chip's pace and – and Jason getting, I think Jason really last season at 33, when he realized that Chip wasn't going to adjust and that they weren't going to make the playoffs, I think Jason really took that hard. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think they're looking for him to be rejuvenated spiritually and physically. I, uh, I'll just have to see it. I, I, he can't get through a game anymore. You know, he's always coming out, uh, he was on the ground a lot last year. I, I'm very much skeptical about this, and I'm a little skeptical of Alan Barbary at the left guard. It seems to me they kind of propped him up there because Alex Sumalo, Isaac Sumalo wasn't available to them because of the quarter system at Oregon State during the spring. But I think if Isaac Sumalo shows up in training camp and suddenly looks good, there'll be a new plan at left guard. Yeah. Uh, to me, I even said this in a story, Alan Barbary's kind of like those Buick commercials, you know, where the point of the commercial is, where's the Buick? I'm looking for some yeah. <laughs> really crappy looking, terrible car that my grandmother would drive. Oh, okay. Well, it's like Alan Barbary was, everybody didn't think he was very good, but if you really examine the tape, blah, 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 you know, sometimes are sometimes things are what they seem. And mm-hmm. I, I just, Alan didn't show very good balance. He didn't show very good quickness. He's a strong guy, and he's a good guy, but I'll be a little surprised if their offensive line works out the way they think it's going to work out. The the question to me is, one of the questions, um, is Kelsey and Lane Johnson Mm -hmm. because they they are not, you know, they they thrived when they thrived under Chip, when the pace was going, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, Kelsey had that terrific first, you know, everybody thought in 2013, like, you know, you'd hear guys on the radio, there's no more athletic center in the NFL right. than Jason Kelsey. Look how far downfield he gets, blah, blah, blah. Well, in the successive two seasons, you saw him getting blown back into the, you know, into the backfield mm-hmm. when the plays apparently became more predictable and, you know, guys knew what was coming. And he, at the point of attack, he just, he struggled at times. Right. Um, you know, and same thing with Johnson. Johnson's very athletic. 
uh, and fast for a right tackle, relatively speaking. Um, but in this slower, more deliberative offense, are, you, are they going to be able to do what they need to do um, to get running back X, whoever the starter might turn out to be, uh, free to, to move the ball? Well, Kelsey was pretty good under Andy Reid. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I'm not too worried about that. I think the problem from the offensive line's perspective, what they think was the problem was that teams did know what was coming and they knew exactly how to counter it. They knew how to slip in behind guys that were, you know, if Kelsey's trying to get to point A and everybody knows exactly the route he needs to take to get to point A, just cut in behind him and mm -hmm. tackle the running back. Mm -hmm. And there's no help there. There's no tight end, no fullback, nobody chipping. You know, it was just up to the offensive line to somehow uh, often, you know, one That's guy told me, you know, you're, you're blocking two people, you know, and that isn't going to work, you know. And so... I don't know. I, I think they will have help this year. I think it'll be a different scheme, and we'll see. We'll see if Kelsey's overrated. We'll see if J Lane Johnson is is really a guy that should have been drafted where he was drafted, although the offensive linemen that were drafted around him in that draft have not done as well as he has. So, you know, uh, but uh, I do think they have a lot of problems on the offensive line, and uh, they're, they're going to be looking for some guys to step up. I really think we, ha we haven't seen exactly what we're going to have on the offensive line this season so far. Murph? It kinda, I think it kind of goes, it kind of ties into the running back question as well because, you know, in the passing game, I think if you talk to Sam Bradford, he would tell you that one of, the, one of his first thoughts when Chip Kelly was fired was, well, now maybe I'll actually get some help instead of just leaving five guys out here on an island to, to, you know, wither in the face of a pass rush. I mean, he never kept a running back in to help. He never kept a tight end in to help. He, I mean, that was the premise of his offense was have, right. you know, five wide receivers out, five potential receivers out there every time. And I think you see, I think, I think it paid dividends when you look at the numbers that Nick Foles, Mark Sanchez and Sam Bradford, you know, in terms of completion percentage and, and, you know, yards and everything like that and efficiency. But, you know, they paid for it with their bodies. Yeah. And, and, you know, Bradford just, I mean, I think back to that, uh, you know, that Carolina game and, and that, that Dallas game, and Bradford was just, you know, getting pummeled that entire time. And, um, you know, he eventually, it, it was like you weren't surprised when he ended up, you know, going down against the Dolphins because he was just taking so many hits. And, right. you know, Kelly just refused to adapt his blocking schemes to keep a tight end in. And I think that when you look at, when you look at what, what you know, it's amazing just watching the Doug Peterson offense, you know, with the naked eye in, in, in these three practice, three or four practices. I mean, it just looks so familiar with from what we've seen, what we saw under Andy Reid. And, and there's just so much two tight ends, so much running back involvement in, in the passing game, both as a receiver and as a blocker, that I just think that, um, A, it's going to be a, a radically, it's going to be such a radically different scheme that it's very hard, as Les said, to project, um, you know, how guys are even going to perform. And, but, but, yeah, definitely. The the personnel has some some question marks, and you know, I'm I'm very curious. How about the receivers? Um, you know, it seems to me not a particularly. I mean, you want to talk about not, you know, not knowing what you have. Oh yeah. You know, uh, what is Nelson Aguilar? You know, can Jordan Matthews play on the outside? Uh, is Chris Givens going to do anything? Can he do anything other than run straight down the field? And can he do that all that well? What is Ruben Randall going to give them, if anything? 
Um, you know, if you can't if you can't entice Eli Manning to throw the ball to you when Odell Beckham is taking everybody's mm-hmm. attention on the other side. I mean, gosh, right. you know, Deshaun Jackson was here and Riley Cooper suddenly averaged 18 yards yeah. of reception for one year, one blessed year. Um, you know, what do we make? I'll go to you first, Murph. What, what do we make of these guys, if anything? I, you know, you know, first thing I made about Aguilar is that he didn't, he didn't really appear to get, use the offseason to get bigger. Yeah. I know he talked, <laughs> he talked, uh, you know, he talked about learning about his body and how he changed some things, but Look, if you look at just look at the guy, look at a guy like him, and then look at a guy like Antonio Brown and a guy like Emmanuel Sanders, and they're just built differently. And you know, I he's got really skinny legs, and for a guy with a small frame, you need a to me, you need a wide, you re, need a really wide lower body. Like if you look at if you look at Emmanuel Sanders and Antonio Brown, those guys are like built like gymnasts almost. And Nelson Aguilar, I just don't know if he's got it. You know, I just think that I just think he might be a huge whiff. You know, he almost looks like Freddie Mitchell physically a little bit. Um, but I'm I'm just not a huge Nelson Aguilar fan at this point. I'm gonna thank his legs for making them so skinny. I guess something like that. What Randall to me is interesting in that I I don't expect anything. Like yeah. you know, I mean that that's one where th- there are good chances to take if you're a team. You know, a guy mm-hmm. gets let go and you say, and I'll throw this to you, Les. You know, you say, okay, well that guy in a different situation will be more productive. Like that was about as advantageous a situation. For yeah. a wide receiver to be in, you know, Eli loved Ben McAdoo's offense. He mm-hmm. had Odell Beckham on the outside, on one outside, who is just commanding the attention of everybody. You know, un- unless Eli went into the huddle every single time and said, "I'm just throwing it to to OD," you know, mm-hmm. Odell Beckham every time, and that's it. I don't care what Reuben Randall does. Like, there's no reason Reuben Randall shouldn't have caught. 70 to 90 passes every year. I think Randall kind of felt that's how it was. Now I don't know, but. And I agree that I called him, you know, the Giants' Josh Huff. Yeah. <laughs> although he's been much more productive yes. than Josh Huff has been. It's the same kind of deal. Guy, high draft pick, a lot expected, not quite uh, what you, you hoped he would be. The spring didn't really settle any great questions to me there. Aguilar dropped passes and then ended up with this business at the strip club that mm-hmm. kind of clouds things. Uh, Josh Huff was Josh Huff. You would see him do really spectacular, wonderful things, and you would see the ball bounce off his hands 30 <laughs> yards into yeah. the air. And that's just who he is at this point, I think. Jordan Matthews, they started out the spring talking about playing him outside. Then all of a sudden, a couple of weeks ago, Doug Peterson said, oh, he'll probably end up in the slot again. But then in subsequent practices, he was outside some, so I don't know what I don't know what the plan is there. I think one thing people with the Eagles think is, and this is kind of the Jim Schwartz thing we were talking about earlier, they think Greg Lewis is going to be a really good wide receivers coach, that he is a guy that really understands the nuances of route running, who's very, because of his age, he's young and he's played in the league and he had to work for everything he got as an undrafted free agent that he can really relate to these guys. They had a guy, Bob Bicknell, who was a Chip Kelly protege, crony, and there wasn't much emphasis on the technical aspects of route running or anything like that in Chip's offense. And I think people like Mike Quick, for example, felt like the wide receivers just basically didn't get coached hmm. in Chip's system. That's interesting. So maybe there's, there's some 
there's some weight being given to the idea that a real coach is going to make these guys are, good. Are they going to coach? I'll have to see it. Yeah. Are they going to coach Josh Huff how to catch a ball? That's the thing. I, I, yeah. I remember there was this one play during one of the OTAs or, or mini camp sessions that we saw where he dropped a pass, the ball hit his hands. I forget who yes. threw it. I think it was either Bradford or, or Wentz. And it was literally like the quarterback had turned and thrown the ball against a brick wall. Like that was yep. the sound it made <laughs> right. when it hit Josh Huff's hands. Yes. You know, it, you just have this impression of like the ball hitting the, you know, the receiver catches the ball away from his body and you hear that kind of, you know, where it hits his hands and it's soft and it stays there because the hands are so strong. Mm-hmm. This was like, boom, whap. Yeah. You know, it was just like, this guy's good. You know, they thought this guy was going to be a, a regular player. It was just... I, I don't know. Well, he's it's a great like, athlete. It, it's like they say I, about all the great sluggers. The ball just sounds differently coming off his hands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's a great athlete. I, I wonder sometimes if Chip back at Oregon didn't screw things up by moving him from running back to receiver, yeah. which is where he came. Because the guy's an amazing athlete, you know, built it, like uh, Adonis, uh, quick, uh, turn, you know, change of direction, everything you'd want in an athlete. He just isn't very good at catching the ball. <laughs> It's Murphy. gonna be interesting. I, I mean, the the route thing is so. Like, quick, I, I he must have gone been going crazy just watching this team. If you go, just go back and watch. None of these guys ran good routes. You know, like that right. was my big thing. I, I frankly, I think Selleck's the best route runner on the team, and it is it's, it is a good question. I just figured they they weren't very good. But, Apparently, but, Chip wanted you to get to a certain spot in a certain amount of time. Yeah. Know? Well, everything's and rounded. That, like, how you no, got there didn't really matter. You know. How you came in and out of your break, how you got off the line. He didn't care. You needed to be at point B in 1.2 seconds or whatever. And I, I remember even that first year when things were going so well, if you remember, they parted ways with Jason Avant after the season. And that was one of the things Jason said was, well, Chip and I disagreed a lot on, on the best ways for me to get open. You know, Jason Avant knew he didn't have the speed or the elusiveness to just run to point A and stand there and he would... Right. He, he had to kind of, you know... He had to set a defensive back yes. up and make a move. There was a guy know. that knew how to run a route. And yeah. if he was at odds with Chip, you know, then that kind of made me scratch my head at the time. But now I think I kind of understand what, what that was all about. Yeah. Well, here's some... I asked, I asked this question somebody I was standing next to on the sideline at one of the practices. And, you know, I, I, I think... The obvious answer is the receiver, but who who do you think will have more better numbers by the end of the season? The second most productive wide receiver or the second most productive tight end slash running back? Because, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Brent Selleck or a running back is the answer to that question. Well, I think Ertz might be the number one receiver, but we said that before. You know, it just never seems to happen. And maybe in this offense it will. Uh, but yeah, that's that's a, that is a good question. But I'm saying, like, if we figure Jordan Matthews and Zach Ertz will, will be the best tight end, best wide yes. receiver. Yes. I just I, I don't. It, it, it's tough to tell who's going to be that second right that that, that that number three option. And, and they didn't add anybody. That's the thing. And they they really didn't add any speed either. I know Chris Evans can run down the field, and maybe that's all. You know, maybe all they want him to do is like a Todd Pinkston type. Right. Um. You know. They, now keep in mind, Kansas City didn't have any wide receivers either. I mean, Alex Smith won an entire season without throwing a touchdown to one. Uh, but I don't know that that necessarily will work for this team either because I'm not sure that they're good in, in, in the rest of the 
carries of of the football. But that was kind of the puzzling thing to me, and maybe the biggest sacrifice besides running back that they made um, in addressing all these other issues with the, was that they simply did not add anybody. Uh, you well, know, I think one problem you know, there is type. they've dra- they've devoted a first round pick, a second round pick, and a third round pick to that position over the last couple years before this season, and. Jordan Matthews is frankly all they have to show for it. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's a, as you said, Aguilar would be a huge miss if that's a miss. I mean, you just don't miss on a, on a mid first round player. Um, but it's not looking good. No, that, that it calls to my, it's funny, you know, if you grew up an Eagles fan in the eighties, you remember this, uh, this infamous pick Mike Bellamy, who was a mm-hmm. wide receiver in the late eighties out of Illinois, a second round pick and buddy Ryan cut him. I think during training camp and it was like, you know, Mike Bellamy was a bust. He was he was terrible. He was awful. I mean, Aguilar would far outstrip that. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, he'd be worse than Freddie Mitchell. I mean, in a draft right. where the Eagles could have had Reggie Wayne, they took Freddie Mitchell, and um, you know, obviously. Yeah, Freddie's biggest problem was his head. I think he yeah. actually had talent. He wasn't fast, but he he was kind of he was of an like, effective slot he was receiver. Like, lot, yeah. lot like Josh Huff, he was very athletic. Mm-hmm. He could make acrobatic catches on the sideline, but he. He was just an odd guy. He wouldn't run. He would do whatever he thought he had to do to get open. And he wouldn't run the pattern that he was supposed to be running. Yeah. <laughs> and Donovan McNabb hated that. Yeah. And it got to where Donovan wouldn't throw it to him because it was like, where is he, go- where is he going? Well, what the <laughs> hell is this? This isn't in our playbook. You know, but Freddie was like, oh, I'll get open. You'll find me and everything will be great. Be cool. Yeah. Drawing plays up yeah. in the dirt, I guess. Right. All right. So, well, it's a, go ahead, Murphy. I'm sorry, one more. Th- it's interesting because the the receivers drafted right after Aguilar have have not exactly been uh, right right great picks either. Brashad Perryman I think might be out for another season for for uh, right. for Baltimore and Philip Dorsett I don't think did all that much last year. Um, yeah, for the Colts. Also, Aguilar's a USC receiver, and that kind of has been a little bit of a kiss of death here. Yeah. to me in the last uh, several years. A bit. So who's going to be throwing these guys the ball for what weeks of the season, Les? How long do we see Sam Bradford? As long as he's healthy. I think he'll be a very good, very effective quarterback as long as he's healthy. But the minute he takes a week off, it'll get real interesting. And I think Doug Peterson's idea is that if Bradford takes a week off, Chase Daniels' stubby little legs will go running out there and everything (laughs) will be fine. But that's not what the fans are going to want to see. The fans will set Lincoln financial field on fire yes. if that happens. Right. I think the better question, the more interesting question is, than over under for when Carson Wentz starts is when over under for the first car, sin, car, sin, car, yeah. sin. That'll Chance. be after the first incomplete pass of the preseason. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, that to me is the funny part about the whole dynamic is the number of Eagles fans who insist that they're going to be fine with Sam Bradford yeah. playing the entire season, no matter how it goes, because Carson Wentz needs this time to grow and develop. Baloney. You guys are right. going to be screaming for this kid the minute you know Bradford throws an interception. Well, if the team is okay, if the team wins, you know, it'll all kind of fade into the background. But if they come out badly, even if Bradford isn't playing terrible, if they lose... It's going to be why won't why what right. do you have to lose why not play exactly the that will dominate the airwaves that will be the you know why in the world aren't you playing your franchise quarterback you're one in four what's going on you know who what do you think you're accomplishing here blah 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 yeah well like, and to me the incredibly naive thing 
you know, they can have the coaches can think and, and, and be committed to any sort of plan they want to be committed to. But we know for a fact that the players listen to the crowd and allow that to affect them. Lane Johnson talked about it last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you have an entire stadium chanting a guy's name, you know, in week three, and that happens every week. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's at some point that's going to affect the uh, the chi or the energy on the yeah. sideline. And, and, you know, at some point it almost becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, that's yeah. a I real mean, good question about Sam. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, that's a real good question about Sam because we already saw how he reacted to the idea of Carson Wentz. Right. You know, and I thought it was a really dumb thing to do because the Eagles weren't going to trade him leaving for two weeks. The Eagles weren't going to trade him, and all he was going to do was do what he did, make the fan base, you know, want to set him on fire by implying that he didn't want to be here. There was no good thing that was going to happen from him taking two weeks off. He just looked like a pouty, you know, immature guy. So how is Sam's psyche going to hold up under well, everybody I, wanting to see Carson Wentz? I, I mean, I, I, the bigger question to me is how is Doug Peterson's resolve going to yeah. you know, stand up to that? I mean, Andy, go ask Andy Reid, as I'm sure you have, about the things people would yell at him from the walk on the walk from his car to his right. office at Veterans Stadium the year that he's right. starting Doug Peterson week after week and Donovan McNabb is maybe taking three snaps a game and spending most of the time on the sideline. It didn't matter that everybody knew that the team was going to be bad. They wanted to see Donovan anyway. Right. And so there's a great story about that. I don't know if you remember, but uh, Marty Morningwick, I guess, was the head coach in Detroit mm-hmm. or was maybe he was still in San Francisco. I don't know. Wherever Marty mm-hmm. was, they, he was good friends with Andy. Sure. And Andy called him from his car on his cell phone, and Marty was asking how things are going there, and, and Andy said, oh, they hate me. And Marty was like flabbergasted. Well, what do you mean they hate you? That can't be true. You're exaggerating. And so Andy was like stuck, I guess, behind some cars trying to get out of the parking lot at the vet after practice. And he, he said, hold on a second. Rolled down the window, held the cell phone out the window, and people were yelling, Andy, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> And then he took the phone back, and Marty was like, wow. <laughs> that's awesome. That, that's, that's, that is, I believe that story with 100% conviction. <laughs> I absolutely do. I absolutely do. And that's, and that's what Peterson's going to face. And, and again, you know, we, we can talk, and we have talked ad nauseum about um, this idea that the Eagles are going to be patient, and they're going to, you know, wring every drop of Sam Bradford out that they can. Mm-hmm. But... Really, the I mean, to me, the only way Bradford keeps the job the entire year is if, as you said, these kind of incredibly remote things happen, that they get off to a 5-0 and start and continue rolling from there. Right. And, you know, I mean, this is, remember, this is a franchise that hasn't, has never won a Super Bowl and that hasn't won a playoff game since 2008. Yep. So in order to keep Carson Wentz on the bench, you're asking... Sam Bradford and this team to do things that they haven't done right. in a very, very long time. And just the All idea true. of that happening um, to me seems so remote that you're going to see Wentz, whether whether Bradford is healthy or not, mm-hmm. I think you're going to see Wentz relatively soon. I would say within the, you know, by week 10, 11, it's somewhere funny. in there. Part of, my, part of my communist indoctrination over the last two weeks took place at Lincoln Financial Field, and I half expected to see Wentz posters all over the place and was surprised to have not seen well, them Well, he yet. doesn't play soccer. Maybe that's why you oh, didn't they were, see them. Oh, they were all the Eagles posters that were up all over the place. They didn't take those down for this. Yeah. Um, you told a true story a moment ago. 
or you told a believable story a moment ago, and since we're well over an hour at this point, that seems like a good place at which to All right. leave the listeners All right. with a true story. Cool. So. Yeah, we can spend another hour just making stuff up. Sam um, Bradford's going to have to give himself the Denzel Washington speech from Remember the Titans before every game because <laughs> he wants to keep his job. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Les, thanks for coming on, man. It's wonderful to be here. Don't now See, now we're ending on a fictional story. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>